Carving and tooling, leather work. A lot of people just say that's decorative, but I would argue with that. To me, those floral designs are very important because they come out of areas where the flowers and so forth are sort of indigenous. They tell you something about the culture. I mean, in the old days, you could pretty much tell where a cowboy was from by the tooling on his saddle. That's leather worker and 2019 National Heritage Fellow, James F. Jackson. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. If you haven't seen the artistry of leather worker James F. Jackson, and I'm pretty sure you haven't, then you should stop listening to this podcast and go to his website, jamesfjackson.art, so you can get an idea of the beauty and complexity of his leather work. James carves in the Sheridan style, which centers on fine tooling of tight patterns of delicate flowers and intricate swirls. But James also develops his own patterns, and he experiments with form, combining painting and leather work. For over 30 years, James Jackson worked at King's Saddlery in Sheridan, Wyoming. Owner Don King was a 1991 National Heritage Fellow, and he was key in the development of the Sheridan style of carving. Jackson's job at King's was to design, hand-carve, and construct a large variety of leather items. Sure, he's created saddles, but he's also made briefcases, belts, leather wall panels, lamps, and vessels. He's creating art, and that shouldn't come as a surprise because James Jackson is also a painter and holds a BFA and MFA from the University of Wyoming. After retiring from King's, James went on to work at the Britain Museum outside Bighorn, Wyoming, where he demonstrates his leather carving and occasionally curates shows. I met James Jackson last fall when he came to Washington, D.C. to receive his National Heritage Award. Here's our conversation. Well, first, James Jackson, congratulations on being named a 2019 National Heritage Fellow. How did you find out? Well, I, I got a call from Senator Mike Enzi, which was very nice of him. Uh, he's a fellow from that part of the country, and so I knew him. And uh, so that meant a lot to me. Oh, that's nice. I didn't realize you, hadn't, you knew him. Yeah. When did you start working with leather? Well, my father was a saddle maker, so I didn't have a choice. He put me to work when I was just a youngster. I started, oh, I was probably 10 years old, something like that, and I was already fiddling around in his shop and doing various kinds of chores. Pretty much by the time I got out of high school, I had learned a trade. I was working with a fellow named Billy Gardner, who is a very fine carver, tooler. My father was a good tooler, too, but uh, Billy was exceptional. So when I went off to college, I had already developed a trade, and it was a great sort of thing. I, I did get a couple of scholarships. I went off to art school at the University of Wyoming and studied there. But knowing the leather work gave me an opportunity to have a job where I had my own hours, and I worked late into the night and go to classes during the daytime. And what about after you graduated from art school? Well, I made a living as a painter down in Denver for four or five years, which was all right, but Denver got to be too big. <laughs> so I went back to Wyoming 
And when I went back to Wyoming, Don King wanted me working in his shop, famous shop that I ended up working in for 30 years. And uh, so what I thought was just going to be a kind of a part-time thing because I was painting and selling my paintings and so forth, I started working in the shop and realized how much I love to do the leather work as well. And so I just basically started working there full-time, which at King's was a six-day-a-week, you know, 7.30 till whenever kind of job. And it physically, it was pretty demanding. But, you know, doing leather work, I don't know how else you learn that. It's, it's just lots of repetition to begin with, learning the mechanics, learning the tools, the material, all of that sort of thing. And, but eventually, if you get to be really pretty good at it, then the creative part, the designing, comes into play. I was fortunate because I was doing custom work. And King's Saddlery, they were known for that. Don King and all four of his boys were fine leather workers, toolers, that type of thing. And Don King won a National Heritage Fellowship as yes, well. that was back in 1991. Because of that, this honor has really been a wonderful thing for me. You know, to have the same kind of award that Don King got was just, yeah, that's close to my heart. Uh, I wish Don were still around. One of his sons, Bruce, was my boss for quite a number of years. He was a great guy to work for, too. And I retired from King's a couple of years ago. Yeah, it was a hard decision for me, and I'm pretty sure they didn't want me to leave. Uh, but I decided I wanted to do more painting and do some other things with my life as well. I continued to do leather carving. Uh, I have a little shop at the Brenton Museum, which is a beautiful museum in the Bighorn Mountains, about 10 miles out of Sheridan, where King's is. And I, it's more of an educational thing, because when I was in college, I worked as a curator in the University of Wyoming Art Museum. And uh, the people around Sheridan know my work real well, my paintings as well as my leather work. I went out to the Brenton and started working in that little shop out there. But I'm only out there uh, three days a week, and it frees up other time that I can work in my studio and do that kind of thing. That doesn't sound yeah. very retiring. <laughs> no, it, it isn't, and that's the way I am. I like to be very busy. But I like the idea of being able to continue uh, the tradition of you know leather carving and tooling. I mean, Sheridan, that Sheridan area, that's a, it's kind of a mecca, really, for leather workers. Saddle makers. We have one of the largest trade leather trade shows in the country there every year. Don King started that about 27 years ago, I think, along with the Leather Crafters and Saddlers Journal. So that is continuing. There, it's become an interna international event, and uh, we get carvers from all over the world. We get I don't know 400 saddle makers, something like that. The whole town fills up with leather workers. So it's really a quite an event. We have an, an opening there at the Brenton. Usually it consists of pieces from leather work for the leather workers to come out and take a look at. It's a state-of-the-art museum, and, and it's a beautiful place to show work like that. I want you to describe the Sheridan style. Okay, the Sheridan style. You know, when I started tooling leather, uh, working as a young guy in the shop, back in the 70s and so forth, there wasn't what they call Sheridan style. It was just the, the way a group of two, three, four men uh, in the area were working. It just so happens, you know, Don built those world championship saddles for the Pro Rodeo, PRCA, 
And he did that uh, through the 60s. And, in, and then Chester Hape, who was another sat- very fine saddle maker there, did that work into the, uh, through the 70s. And some of those saddles are some of the most beautiful saddles you'll ever see. And they changed the industry. They changed because the tooling was so fine and so dense. I mean, Sheridan-style carving has to do with the refinement of the leather tooling that was done at the time. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that Don King built his own tools. They were much cleaner, crisper imagery. The flowers were became smaller, and it's a continuous... Uh, they're nesting circles in the floral patterns. The veins run all the way through the patterns, and you create a lot of energy when you lay out the patterns that way. And that's basically what the stylistic differences have to do with. It has to do with the, the way you lay out patterns. And the tooling became more refined and clear, and it just really woke the industry up. And now it's become, you know, it's an American art form that has developed to a certain point that museums are now collecting that work. This isn't just about saddles. You make unlikely things like vessels out of leather. I actually don't know anybody else that does that. But I like the shape of a vessel. And I, oh, six, seven years ago, I decided that I see if I could build one of those out of leather and, and then tool it and carve it. And those have had a real, I've had a real good response from collectors for that type of thing. You know, when you do high-end leather work, like I've done for Kings for many years, you develop a certain clientele. They know what really good tooling and carving is about. They know the work, the hours, experience that it takes to get to that point. And they're willing to pay the prices for, for that kind of work. And, and see, the museums have sort of caught up with that now, and they're beginning to realize that it is a distinct American art form. I have a question. I use carving and tooling interchangeably. Is there a difference? Well, carving and tooling is pretty much the same. In the old days, they used to call it stamping. But those guys that were carvers or toolers, they wanted to distinguish themselves from the stampers because there are some parts of leatherwork that are, it's just set stamping. It's basically just using stamps and a mallet. The carving involves using a swivel knife and being able to take that knife and cut floral patterns. So there's a big difference. Floral carving takes many more years of experience, and technically it's just you have to have, have the ability to draw very well and design things. So, Do you draw on the leather or do you sketch separately when you, when you make your designs? Well, there, there are a number of ways you can do that. Personally, I love to just draw right on the leather. And so I'll take a stylus, not a knife to begin with, but just a little stylus, uh, just a metal stump kind of thing. And, and I just rough a pattern in and take a compass, draw some circles, rough a pattern in. And then I take my knife and start cutting. And that's when there's no erasing or any of that. It's all free, freehand. But see, I like being a painter and, and having that trade, you know, drawing things. That's where the interest, in, uh, my interest in the work is. Uh, the mechanical part of actually tooling and, and uh, carving, you know, once you carve the lines and so forth, then you take your other tools and you shape those lines. It's like sculpting, basically. It's shallow relief sculpting is what it is. And so, do you finish it? Yeah, then you, after it's all carved, tooled, and it's become much more three-dimensional, 
Then you go back and dye it, oil it, lacquer it, put an antique on it, put a finish coat on that. Yeah, the finishing process is very important as well. And then if you're going to be building things like briefcases and purses and all that, you have to know construction. Uh, or all, saddles, too, I would imagine. Saddles. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, these, some of these things are engineering projects. So the carving and tooling, a lot of people just say that's decorative. But I would argue with that. To me, those floral designs are very important because they come out of areas where the flowers and so forth are sort of indigenous. They tell you something about the culture. I mean, in the old days, you could pretty much tell where a cowboy was from by the tooling on his saddle. Nowadays, it's interesting because you have guys like me going around the world teaching classes. You know, it's no longer can you tell where a person is from, but I like the idea. My father always told me, he said, don't lose that Western character. You said that you began doing leather work because it's what your father did, and it was basically like the chore that you had to do. This is what you have to do. It's a family business. When did you grow to love it? Well, when you grow up with something and working. Yeah, I, it can go I one mean, of two ways, I mean, though, I, James. I know, but I, I, I remember falling asleep in the leather bins in my dad's saddle shop. And so there's an atmosphere. I don't know how to explain that. But, you know, there's a smell to the leather. Uh, it's something that just it is, gets embedded in your mind. And when I started painting, working more and more in my studio, I started missing that. And as time went on, I, I would say probably, you know, by the time I was making the switch over from my high school to the college work, you know, I started really getting interested in the leather work at that point and realizing that there was a lot of potential there for the creative part of it, potential that hadn't been tapped. Because I was going to art school, I was realizing, well, here's a material that I'm sculpting every day for everyday uses like belts and wallets, purses and things. There's no reason that you can't use this material to go in other directions. So uh, that's what I've done over time. I combine my painting with the leather work. And there's a certain way you can't just paint directly on leather. You have, I was going to ask you, how do you do that? Yeah, you have to seal it. You know, over the years, I've I sealed my canvases and things with a rabbit skin glue compound. And I realized that worked well because it penetrated into the leather well. And so I have a compound that I mix up. And you, of course, first of all, you have to carve an area and then sand the area you're going to paint on and apply the, the glue and then sand it again, put more glue on there, work it into the pattern and so forth. Then you have to go back and use a gesso or something on top of that to seal it. And uh, then you can start painting. So you have to think ahead of time in terms of what kind of imagery you're going to be putting on there. So I, I end up doing these. I think it's because I'm an artist, painter, guy I like to create and coming up with new ideas and things is paramount. Now when you were painting or when you when you do paint do you paint abstract work do you paint figurative work do you use oil acrylic what tell me about that well I've bit. gotten involved in a number of different mediums when I was at the university I pretty much worked as a, a painter but I also did print work I made lithographs and etchings and that type of thing by the way, I painted a mural out in San Diego. It's 15 feet high, 80 feet long. It's in one of the tallest buildings in San Diego. It's in the uh, Symphony Towers complex. 
and I spent a year on that project. So, so I've done public projects. That's the biggest one I've ever worked on. But that was an acrylic painting and uh, with gold leaf. You know, I like to work in different mediums and different processes. To me, you see, that's where the ideas are. Is so. there a special feeling you get when you're working with leather as opposed to painting or something that you get from painting that you don't quite get from leather? Yeah. Well, the painting process, you're working on a flat two-dimensional plane, and you're dealing with that, the problems of designing and working with that. I mean, some of my work is very abstract, as you would see in that mural in San Diego, and then it goes to very realistic rendering. And so (laughs) even in, in each individual work that I do, there's a whole process, not only in the different materials, but you're seeing a whole different thought process going on, Mm. especially when I do those pieces on leather and then I paint on them. Because when you look at those pieces, your mind has to kind of do a flip because you're actually looking at a three-dimensional carved surface, but you're also seeing this, the illusion of depth and so forth that's done with the painting. So to me, see, that's kind of an interesting thing to be dealing with. Now, it doesn't always work, you know. I mean, there are lots of times I start on some things, of painting or a project with the leather work. It's just not working right. And I'll put that aside for a while, maybe go back to it later on. And then sometimes things really come together well. You know, it's, it's, it's the artistic process, creative process. And the imagery I use, the ideas I come up with and so forth, are all part of my day-to-day experience out in the world. So I don't, you know, when I start on a painting or a carving, I really don't know exactly where it's going to end up. A lot of these things go in different directions. But that discovery is what I enjoy. You teach leather work. Yeah. What is it that you try to impart to your students? Well, uh, leather work, when I teach, I'm teaching usually people who are professional leather workers and they're trying to improve and clarify their leather patterns and and raising the bar of their work. Enhancing a skill set. And that's more of a mechanical kind of thing. A professional development Yeah, and that just comes out of experience and knowledge. So I get younger people in there that are wanting to know how to carve in a certain way and what kind of tools to use, that kind of thing. But they are already usually a pretty accomplished people. Uh, and, And that's what's cool about the leather industry. These are hardworking people that make a living, you know, selling their products, and they want the most beautiful pieces that they can build, uh, but they want to know how to build them quickly and the best processes. When I go to Japan, it's the same way. I began teaching over in Japan, uh, well, it's been quite a number of years ago. I've been over there four or five times to give seminars and classes, that type of thing. That's so and so I've gotten to know a lot of leather workers over in Japan. And actually, I am working right now on a major exhibit that's going to come up in 2021, the spring of 2021, at the Brenton Museum. It will be a, a combination of 15 uh, leather carvers from Japan and 10 from North America. These are some of the finest carvers in the world, actually. You know, I honestly feel like a complete ignoramus, but I had no idea that Japan would be a country that would be so interested in leather work. And 
Really? I don't know why. I, I, I think I, I, I was really surprised by that, and I don't even know why I was surprised. Yeah, well, you're not, you know, I mentioned that to people, and they, they say, well, they have leather shops in Japan? And I say, well, yeah. Actually, there are probably more leather shops in Japan than there are in the States. I, but, I don't know what I was uh, thinking. Like, I guess I was just stuck on making saddle, you know, the saddle yeah, yeah. work. Yeah, and see, that in the, in the States here, you know, the focus, really, of leather shops has been on the equestrian part of it. Mm-hmm. But in Japan, they've been building purses, wallets, briefcases, all kinds of things like that for many years. And they're very skilled. They were carving leather a long time ago in Japan. But what, you know, what drew my attention, obviously, was the fact that the tooling that comes out of Sheridan has been a major influence on the leather industry in Japan. Hmm. So this little town in Wyoming you know, 15, 20,000 people at the most, has had a major influence on a whole industry over in Japan. And now the Japanese, uh, because they've been doing this work, they carve Sheridan-style carving, very similar tools that we use and so forth. They are just uh, doing marvelous work, and it's beginning to influence the American carvers. And so it's really cool to go over there and see the the development of a particular style, a style that came out of a little town in Sheridan, Wyoming. It's amazing. And and they love it over there. And uh, there's some something interesting about the way they look at patterns and design things. Uh, there's a certain clarity there. See, it's coming out of a different culture, and that's what I'm. This show that I'm talking about at the Brenton Museum. That's what I wanted show people is that you can look at the same pattern style tooled by an American carver and one by a Japanese carver and you will notice stylistic differences. It's just like playing music or writing poetry. If it comes out of a different culture, somehow you can make that distinction. It may be a stroke or a notes put together, you know, a phrase or something, but you get a sense of where the work is coming from. And to me, that's a powerful experience. What does it mean to you being named a 2019 National Heritage Fellow by the National Endowment for the Arts? You know, I've known about the National Endowment for years, and uh, I've, I've really uh, appreciated their work. And I've watched lots of programs they put on and so forth. And uh, it's, it's been great. And so that's why it's such an honor for me to uh, be given this uh, fellowship. The National Endowment for the Arts, it's a great institution. And it's very important for this country to have an institution like this because uh, it gives us an idea of the diversity in our country. And that diversity is what makes America what it is. These great ideas that we have I think it has to do with the fact that we have all these different cultures bouncing off of one another. Uh, And what's great about the program is the fact that they are talking to people who are very good at what they do and have had an influence on the traditional communities in this country. And they tell us who we are. I mean, they tell us what the possibilities are, all these new ideas and things that spin off. And then retaining, retaining an understanding of what the traditional arts are and have been. So it's such an honor for me. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. Oh, that's a, a wonderful place to leave it. 
James, thank you. Thank you so much. And so many congratulations. Your work is just exquisite. It's exquisite. Well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your, your interest. That's leather worker and 2019 National Heritage Fellow, James F. Jackson. Be sure to check out his work at jamesfjackson.art. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Subscribe to Artworks. It will make us happy, and it'll make us even happier if you leave us a favorable rating on Apple. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.